Welcome back to the Coaching Kernan Podcast Network. I'm Dave D'Agostino, your producer and co-host for today's show. We've got a special one for you. It is our newest addition to the podcast network. It's called A Day at the Yard, Common Sense Pitching with Wiley and Will. And we have our two co-hosts here, Mark Wiley and Will George, have graced us with, with this great, great concept for a new show. We've been getting feedback from our audience that we want in-depth pitching, and we want experts in the pitching field to come on as our guests. So a little bit of an offshoot of our real voices of the game that we have on Monday. So um, Mark and Will, welcome to the show. Good luck with today's podcast. It's your very first episode. Great to be here, guys. Yeah. Looking forward to it, Dave. Yeah, and I'll do a, a, a quick intro because I think it's important for our audience to know just how lucky we, lucky we are to have you two guys here with your background. And and I'll do Will first. Uh, Will George, some of you know him from our – he appears in our Real Voices of the Game, uh, also with our panel of resident experts. Initially, we called him Bull. I think our audience remembers that because you were in the Major League Baseball Witness Protection Program with Coach and Kernan, but now you're out and you have your own show. 46 years in Major League Baseball, seven years as a minor league pitcher, seven years as a minor league pitching coach, 32 years of scouting, amateur and professional one World Series ring and one national or one NL championship ring. Uh, it's quite a quite a resume. Will we're lucky to have you here. Thanks for thanks for doing this for us. Awesome to be here and so excited to bring uh, Mark in and uh, our our lineup of guests are going to be fabulous for anybody that that listens. Oh, it's it's fantastic, and I think the audience will get a get a special dose of you two, your special relationship, and that, that'll come out during the show as well. And then uh, Mark Wiley. Uh, formerly director of pitching operations for the Colorado Rockies, 52 years in professional baseball, 20 years as a player, the minor league coach and manager, 17 years as a major league pitching coach, 15 seasons in the front office. He's got one World Series ring, two American League championships rings, and one National cha- uh, National League championship ring. Again, a, a great resume, and the resumes are great, but I think our audience is going to get a great feel for your guys' in-depth pitching of uh, knowledge and our title couldn't, couldn't be any more appropriate. It's common sense pitching. And that's kind of what we're about, building better baseball IQs. And, and our first guest here today, I'm going to let you guys introduce uh, Brandon to the audience. Uh, phenomenal background, tremendous Major League uh, resume, and now has another role in Major League Baseball where he's doing a lot of good for a championship program. So, Mark, I'll let you introduce Brandon. Yeah, Brandon Duckworth is our, our first guest in our first episode. We're so glad to have him. Um, Brandon was a uh, – he played eight years in the big leagues with uh with with philadelphia houston kansas city um he had uh, a, a great minor league career as well where he had a 600 winning percentage which doesn't happen that very much very often in the minor leagues he uh pitched in japan he's been an amateur and professional scout with the yankees up to uh, to this point um we're really excited i think that that brandon has some interests that we'd like to project on our on our podcast, uh, we're all about bringing some things that maybe uh, haven't been done in a while that still have value in the game. Um, we still we have uh, value to the to analytics and some of those new new uh, training training uh, te- uh, technologies. But but we want to bring people on that have a background from youth baseball up through professional at the highest level. And Dave's. One guy that has a real interest in in youth baseball. He's got a young young son that's that's in youth baseball now, and he's got some good ideas. So let's let's start off in that area because we want to make sure we hit on that, Dave. And anything else you any direction you want to go, just let it go. 
Yeah. If you guys want mine, I'll start with Brandon first and then let you guys have Adam here. Uh, you know, Brandon, we have a lot of, we have, like Mark said, we have kids and fathers and coaches listening all the way from grassroots through uh, big league front offices. And we're global. We kind of joked about it off the air, but we're listened to in 32 countries right now with the podcast. Um, talk to, talk to the young kids first before we, uh, we get going. Things like long toss, um, things like pitching coaches, uh, you know, how important is long toss to, to a young kid in terms of developing their throwing arm and, and I guess the beginning stages of throwing? You know, I, well, first of all, it's a, a pleasure to be with you guys and to be invited onto the show. Um, uh, and I just like to say with, with young kids, you know, it's paramount these days because they're playing so many games. You know, I think there, it needs to be brought to attention just the amount of throwing that these kids do um, and, and the time off that they need in order for their bodies to recover. You know, after all, the professional athletes are going to take off two to three to four months even of throwing. But, you know, I, as far as depending on the age, you know, you, I always have been to the point where, you know, I had long tosses as, as a young kid, but I didn't really know until being thrust into collegiate levels, high school levels, all the way up to the major league level. But um, I think in building arm strength, the big thing for me, it's always a foundation. So in order to have the good quality long toss, you still have to have quality movements with your lower half and so on and so forth. So Paramount, I'm always a foundation person, but getting onto the long toss itself, I, I think it's great to help kids to create the length out front and to build that arm strength. But, you know, there's, there's at the young ages, I really feel that it can be maybe even more beneficial just because they're building the strength because most kids, they don't know how to use their legs as it is, but to keep it within reason, as far as long toss goes to where they're not going to hurt themselves. I think, I think that's a real big thing for me you know, and teaching my son, let alone other kids. Yeah. So, so foundation first is important. And I'm a, I feel outnumbered here. I'm a former minor league player, but I was a second baseman and a hitter. So I've got three pitchers on with me. So arm strength obviously wasn't too big with me being a second baseman with when you were, when you were growing up, you know, I, I grew up, we threw a football, we threw a, you know, a rubber ball off the wall, anything we can get our hands on, we could throw. It wasn't so formalized. And I don't remember guys in, in my generation having too many arm problems and having strong arms. Nowadays, it's so formalized. Which, which do you prefer? Is there a marriage of both? I mean, and how were you as a kid? You know, I played multiple sports as a kid, and I just highly, highly, highly recommend play multiple sports. It, it works in multiple factors because you're learning footwork, this agilities and just how your body works. Plus it takes a little bit of pressure off some of those other muscles that you use, whether it's been baseball, basketball, football, swimming, um, so on and so forth. But I threw a football all the time. We were outside playing pickup games. You know, we threw a lot, but it wasn't overdone. It was over the course of time. It wasn't yeah. like you see with some of these kids, you know, say young kids, they're playing in the travel ball, which my son does. And I'm sure everybody else's kids have done that at one point or another. But, you know, when they're playing three to five games over the weekend, like I, I just 
I cringe because I see so many of these kids pitching multiple days, throwing 60 to 80 pitches, and then two days later, or even the next day. And I'm just, I freak out and I start like, what is going on to our game today? It's gotten to this where as we grew up and to say we're old timers here, but you know, everything seemed to be spread out. You would have a game today, a game tomorrow. It wasn't three, four, five games within a two day span. And I think that's been a real big issue for me, just looking at it um, to where you're starting to see a lot of injuries. Yeah. And then what, now what were your two sports? Mine is I, I was lucky enough to play two college sports, basketball and baseball for four years. Our two boys play both those sports. My wife was a very good basketball player. I have to say that. Otherwise, I won't uh, get dinner tonight. Uh, she played at UMass. But our two daughters, same thing. They play multiple sports, soccer, swimming, basketball. They're young. What were your alternative sports and which ones do your children play? Uh, my alternative sports obviously was baseball, number one. But then, you know, I played football. I played basketball. And then I started to golf as I got a little bit older. Just, you know, I I enjoyed the golf and, and whatnot. But, you know, I think that really helped me develop in a lot of respects. And then my children, um, I have three. My oldest daughter, she's a swimmer and she pretty much she just is only a swimmer now. She's in high school, but that's what she loves. She wasn't really interested in anything else. Um, my son, he, if I could let him play five sports, he would play all five and try to figure out the time to get to him. But he's, he's a primarily right now a baseball player and swimmer. And he loves all of them, but he keeps begging me, hey, can we play flag football? Hey, can I play basketball? And, you know, you're just trying to say, well, we can, but we got to figure out the time. So um, right now it's been pretty good with the baseball swim. And I figure with the swim, I'm building a lot of shoulder strength, stamina, core work. You know, I wish I honestly, I wish I would have swam as a kid, like uh, my son and my daughter are doing right now. Just I just see how strong they are, but it's not a bulky strong. It's more of an athletic lean type of strength. Yeah. Well, go ahead. You had something you wanted to add. Uh, you know, Brandon early on mentioned foundation, you know, and Mark and I have talked so many times, you know, if you're going to build a good house, you better have a foundation. And I think one of the things in pitching, we're not building that foundation. And all the things that we're going to try to address on this show will – come into play. And, you know, I couldn't agree more about playing multiple sports. I played basketball, football, and baseball. I was a quarterback, would throw, you know, 150 passes a day in football practice in high school, which I know was doing nothing but building arm strength and building really good mechanics because to throw a good spiral, you had to have good mechanics. So, um, you know, those are all great points that you brought up, Brandon. Mark, go ahead. You want to expound yeah, on that? Yeah, you know, I'm glad that you mentioned the long toss. Um, you know, for me, that's one of the primary mm -hmm. things to get the whole body involved. And on a side note, you know, I was still a player and and then became a coach. And uh, I was lucky enough to be friends with Bob Feller and Early Wynn and Warren Spahn. Some of you listeners might not know who they are, but they're Hall of Fame pitchers. And uh did tremendous things in the game of baseball. And I, one day I asked him, I said, do you, did you guys do much conditioning? 
And Bob Feller said, oh, yeah, we used to go condition after after we practiced in spring training. We used to go over to this gym and we used to work out. And I go, really? And, you know, these are things I didn't know. And these are old timers. But the one thing they all had in common, they all played long toss. They played long toss the day after they pitched. I mean, these guys were throwing over 300 innings a year. They were pitching on four days rotation. Um, they did things that, that players aren't asked to do now. But they felt it was really important to stretch out and get their get all the soreness out by long toss after they pitched. So it was funny to me that they I was long tossing at the time. I was still playing when I met Early Wynn and, and Warren Spahn. And when they told me that, I said, Well, I guess I'm along, I'm on the right track. I mean, these guys did it 40 years before me. So uh anyway, that, that's nothing new. It's something that a lot of people talk about now as far as conditioning, but this has been going on for a hundred years. Yeah. Well, yeah, I, I agree. I, I tell you, you know, and everybody's long toss is going to be a little bit different. I remember um, playing in Philadelphia and watching Jose Mesa long toss <laughs> it, every day, foul pole to foul pole. He wanted to get height on it, but he would carry it. And, and he took a guy, another really good major league pitcher carlos silva under his wing and they that's what they did every single day it was it was amazing but not everybody can do that um and for me i would just it as a starter i would just tailor it a certain way i during the season versus off season there there's a lot of different ways to do it and you know off season you're building arm strength and i'm probably long tossing pretty much every day versus going into the season you know, I start to really tailor it to my specific work and, and you know, how it is that week. And there might be a week I take off. Brandon, you know, it's, funny, it's funny you mentioned that about Jose Mesa, because I had Jose in Cleveland and uh, and we brought him to Colorado one time when I was there. You know, the funny thing about Jose was I also had him in Baltimore. Um, Jose, we our biggest challenge was to find somebody that could long toss with him. That's why that's why he would he would identify a guy that he thought he could help that could benefit from the longer long toss and he would pair up with him every day. But it was a he had to find a guy, I'm telling you, because nobody threw as long as he did. No, no, it was it was probably one of the most impressive things that I had ever seen is the amount of long toss that he would do. And you just go. Wow, this is unbelievable just to watch him do it. But he was methodical, and it kind of helped that he had shoulders the size of bowling balls. Brandon, what was your early on in your career as a professional, and, and then I guess did it change later on? What was your pregame routine or your long toss routine or your in-between mechanics routine? Share with our young kids and our audience a little bit about that. because they, they Everybody sees you when you take the mound on that fourth day. But what were the days before and after like? Well, I would do a long toss the day after for sure, you know, because I would try to go in. I would try to get my a good run in. Some days were more sprint work. Other days were a little bit more um, distance work, just kind of varied. But that day I would long toss and, you know, I would just kind of see how my body felt and the arm felt. And the big thing is just stretching things out, getting everything loose and, you know, I would go up to, depending, anywhere from 180 to 240 feet, 
But I would try to, I did mine a little different. I tried to keep everything on a line. I didn't want to big, have the big hump because I felt like that would change my, my base and my foundation and just my whole delivery as it, as it were, you know, and I wanted to try to repeat that as many times each and every day so that it was very simple to get on the mound and everything repeats. Um, so, you know, I would have that lift. I would go do my long toss. I would come in, I would still do my ice and stuff like that. And then the following day I would do a bullpen. I would still long toss. I would, you know, just to get loose, I might only go to 180 feet, but then on the mound, I had specific things to work on for that day. Um, you know, whether it was something delivery related, did I feel like I was drifting? Did I feel like my arm was late? So now it's a handbrake timing thing, or it could have been a certain pitch that I just didn't have a feel for. And that side work on the mound, let alone playing catch is where I really honed in on the feel of what it felt like and trying to get that feel back of the best pitch that comes out of those hand, my hand. So I do my uh, bullpen the second day. Third day, I would do another lift. You know, a lot of times it would just be a lighter, just more stretch out. Um, and I'd play catch maybe up to 150 feet. And then the day before a start, I would play catch and do a little bit of short work, flat ground. I started doing more mound work because I just started thinking, you know what, if I'm going to throw a lot of pitches off a mound, I want to mimic what I'm doing. So I wanted to continually get used to the slope. And I believe I remember listening to Greg Maddox and all those guys with Atlanta saying they'd throw multiple times off the mound, even if they brought the catcher up. But you know, they're still working off the mound that they do all their work on. And it made a lot of sense. So, you know, I would tailor it to that. And then, you know, I would throw a little bit on that, on my, uh, let me revert back onto my uh, bullpen day. You know, depends on the day. If I needed to throw 30 pitches, I would throw 30. If I would throw 40 or 50, it just all depend. But it varied time to time. But if I knew I was in a good spot, I wouldn't need more than 30, 35 pitches. Um, and then the day before, I would just play some regular catch and, you know, just spin the breaking ball, just play and catch and get ready for the next day, which would be my start. Now, you're, you're in a, a role right now, a scouting role, so you get a chance to see it from, I would imagine, right down in the weeds to the 10,000-foot view level. Are you seeing guys doing this still nowadays? We're seeing so many injuries with the arm. Uh, we're trying to put our finger on why. Are guys maintaining, like you're describing, throwing enough? Are they throwing too much? Are they lifting too much? What's kind of your thoughts on that? You know, I think it, it just depends. Um, I think guys are training so much harder. I don't think they truly give their bodies enough time off. Um, once the season's over, there's, there's guys, they're still in the gym, and they never really get a recovery time, just to, whether it's a month or two months. I think in certain respects, you need to give your body time to recover, recuperate, and just, you know, come back. Um, and I think so many guys are, they're so regiment oriented and they get into that, hey, I need to lift this many times. This is how I do it, you know. And sometimes I feel like some of the guys are just too strong and their bodies just don't handle it. Um, I, th I think there's a multiple reasons on top of not only those, but I think it could have been the amount of work they did in their younger years, hence some of the travel ball stuff that I think is, it, 
it compounds over that all those years as a young kid into high school, into college. I mean, as we see, we've seen some of the college games. Some of these kids are throwing, what, 160 pitches? Yeah. So I, I, I think it's a, it's a little bit of everything. I don't think there's any one specific thing per se because everybody's made so differently where some guys never worked out and they never got hurt where – some guys work out all the time and they never got hurt and vice versa where they all get hurt. So, you know, I think I think it's just real individualized and trying to figure out, you know, hey, listen to your body. I need a, a breather. You're not going to lose anything. You're going to lose more by being injured and not being able to do stuff rather than, you know, pushing through some of these things. Dave, Dave, do you do you feel like um you know, the emphasis put on velocity and bat speed and all those things in baseball um, are contributing to it. Do you want, you want me to answer that Mark or Brandon? Oh, uh, Brandon. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, I definitely think so. You know, um, with all the plyo balls and stuff like that, I think the plyo balls are good. I think too many times people overindulge with stuff. Right. So I think, a lot of times there's, they do some of these exercises that are very restrictive. Um, you know, say with some of the two pound balls that they're starting out in the biomechanical sense as the distal or out front and trying to work backwards. So the reverse engineering going back from distal back to proximal, but our bodies work proximal out to distal. So I think we're, we're restricting our bodies and, and our arms weren't really meant to go that way. So some of these things that they're doing with some of these heavier balls, like overweighted balls, in my opinion, I don't know this for sure, but this is just my own feeling. But when you're starting out front with a, say some of these two pound balls, and now you're trying to throw it backward, getting it going, there's no momentum to help get everything started. Now I'm, I'm working from, basically a stagnant position and now all of a sudden i'm ripping it back like i think that's got to be some parts of this and on top of deliveries where it's just everything's max effort every pitch is a hundred percent i think that's another aspect that really plays a, a toll on uh, some of these pitchers bodies and arms yeah that's what i think i think that it's you know it's becoming a quick horse race um Pitchers only know they have to go six innings, uh, starters, uh, relievers come in for an inning, often just an inning. Um, and it's, uh, you know, it's a lot of max effort pitches. And when you throw max effort, there's not much feel to it and command suffers terribly. And I think that, you know, it's always, you know, I'm an old timer. So a lot of these, my friends that pitched in the big leagues for a long time, you know, they always talk about oh, guys can't throw innings. They, 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 they don't go to winter ball anymore. They don't do this. We used to do this and that. And I said, well, this is a this is what we've created in the minor. I mean, in the amateur baseball, is that it's it's like show me what you could do in a hurry, and if you throw real hard or you got really good bat speed, you know, you may make some money in the game or you may get a scholarship. Um, there's not a lot of time and patience taken to get us where we need to be. And I think in my era, we pitched a lot of innings and a lot of guys went to winter ball. Um, 
and pitched even more. And people go, well, why didn't they get here? Well, they didn't hurt because they didn't throw many max effort pitches. They learned how to pitch and feel and pitch sequencing and hitter evaluation to make decisions. And I think that's a big thing that's lost in today's game. There's not enough people that teach that. Uh, some organizations yeah, I- do a good job, don't get me wrong. But amateur baseball, I don't think they're doing a good job. They tell everybody what to do. They don't let let any decision make it by the player. Yeah, I would I would agree. You know, and there I tell you what, and there's some unbelievably athletic kids that we see today, and you're like, man, I can't even imagine, you know, how athletic these guys these guys are. And you you know, you're always comparing them to your peers when you played and whatnot. But you know, I think there is a difference also between baseball shape and weight room shape. Um, and I think too often I, I'm right now, I'm seeing a lot of kids. I'll teach a lot of young kids. There's, there's no flexibility. Hamstrings are super tight. There's no hip mobility. Like, and I, I'm harping on them. Like in order for you to get into positions of power, you have to be mobile. You have to have mobility, whether it's in your shoulder, your scap, your hips, your ankles, knees, like all of this stuff. And I see too many tight athletes versus guys that you're like, Oh, like as Will and I will sit in a stands, we'll say, man, look how, look how loose and fluid this guy is. And he can get into positions that all these other guys can't. I think that's part of the, the history of guys being hurt as well is just how tight they end up getting. And it's not, I think it's more due to the fact that they're lifting and they're getting stronger, but they're not working on every aspect where the stretching, that is a key part for me um, in keeping guys healthy. Well, see, I, I think that even back in my day, you hit it on it earlier in the conversation. You know, we maybe didn't even stretch much, but we played all these different activities. We played different sports, which which stretched and worked on different parts of our body that's tran- transitioned into pitching. I remember playing football in high school, and I remember the first week or so of baseball practice, my shoulders were really stiff because I'd been hitting for uh, a couple months. You know, so you know that happened. But there's also a transition. You know, you kind of got loose by playing different activities, and uh, and I think that. That might have a big part in it because there now there's there is a lot of good stretches out there and stretching, but everything is just activity specific, and it's not a, as good a general uh, general activity to keep you loose. Yeah, I would agree with that. I would. I mean, I talk to kids all the time. Oh, I'm just a baseball only, and I'm like, wait a minute, you're 12. Go play. Go do other things. That's how you learn your body and how you get into some of these positions and learn the athleticism. You got to be an athlete. I know. I think that, that, you know, we, we hit on that and we talk about the athletes, but we also talk about their parents and their, you know, amateur uh, performance coaches and, and strength coaches and all those kind of people um, that are involved in a guy's life when he's starting to develop. Uh, And it's important for us to get the message across to the parents that doing the same thing over and over from when you're 10 years old till you get through high school into college sometimes can be really detrimental, you know, that you need to have a little more wide range of activities 
And, and like you said earlier, you've got to be smart on when to rest and give your body rest and time to recover. But you also got to be aware of your body can be pushed a little bit more than a lot of guys are used to doing. Yeah, totally. I totally agree. Will, go ahead. Yeah, you know, you guys touched on so many great points. Um, you know, the uh, you know, and Larry Boa talked about it yesterday on the podcast with Jeff Fry. You know, we've lost our patience. You know, you you know, you hear an amateur scouting now because there's so many kids that are throwing 98 miles per hour, 16 and 17 year olds. There's you know, because that's what the emphasis is on. There's nothing, no emphasis on pitching. And I'll never forget, I had a conversation with a former major league pitcher who was a minor league pitching coordinator and his son was a first round pick. Um, And he was, I was watching his son pitch. I go, wow, he's got a great arm. He said, yeah, I'm just waiting for him to have his Tommy John. Because he knew what his son did at 15, 16, and 17 in training facilities was going to cause his son to end up hurting his arm. And, you know, we've got to get away from velocity and go back to pitching. And, um, you know, like, you know, when I first started scouting, you projected a high school kid. The kid was 88 to 92. You said, my gosh, when he fills out, gets bigger, stronger, he'll throw 93, 94. He'll have a good fastball. He can really spin a breaking ball. Those were all the important things. Now it's like, you know, you know they, they, they have a term, a jarp, but just another right-handed pitcher, you know, 90 to 93. That's not enough. No, that is enough. You know, Adam Wainwright still shows us that it's enough every time he goes out and pitches and wins. So. Yeah. Mark, go ahead. You wanted to add to that? Yeah, I think, you know, and I'm a big guy on feel. I think that the the best pitchers in baseball, no matter what era it has been, uh, obviously the best pitchers had the best stuff, you know, maybe the best velocities in some cases, but they had the best feel. They could adjust on the fly. They were their own best pitching coach. You know, Will often talks about, you know, that that good pitchers are their own, their best pitching coach because you nobody's out there with you on the field. You've got to be able to make adjustments. You're able to put into play what pitching coaches taught you on your bullpen sessions. But during the game, you're on your own. And the best pitchers in the game can harness it. And when you have command and feel, you can take advantage of evaluating a hitter in, in, in their swings, um, what they're uncomfortable doing, uh, and be able to make better decisions on what you're going to, what you're going to throw. I really feel like the, the elite pitchers still do that, but I think there's a big drop off now in baseball with guys that could actually adjust on the fly, that can think and evaluate hitters and, and make choices that are best to get the guy out with um, because they're told everything to do. And I know when I was uh, the court, uh, the uh, director of pitching for the Rockies, we, we tried to put that into play. We wanted our catchers and pitchers to make decisions based on their own information that they're seeing 
and and that's a hard thing when nobody's been taught that all the way through amateur baseball. They've always been told what to do. Brandon, go ahead. Yeah, I I totally agree with that. I know, like for myself, you know, my past experiences. If I felt off, I would always I was very verbal with whether it be my catcher, whether it be my pitching coach. Hey, I feel like I'm doing this. Can you watch this certain thing? And then I would try to get the feedback, but I was always trying to do that while in the game. Like if I felt off, I'm like, man, I just feel like this because I'm not able to get this certain pitch or get to this certain location. Hey, pay attention to this for me this next half. I'm going to try to make some adjustments, but tell me what you're seeing. And so that was me. And I know not everybody does that, but I think I had to learn at a young age how to pitch. And and it probably helped that, you know, watching Greg Maddox pitch and, and guys like that when I was a, when I was a young kid, when he was with the Cubs and seeing that watching the Braves, like I idolized him and I wanted to be like him. I'm like, man, this guy knows how to pitch. You know, yeah, there are some guys that threw hard, but we always thought those guys were just bullpen guys anyway. You know, and now we're seeing guys like the DeGroms of the world that are, you know, upper 90s. I mean, those guys are so rare, as we know. I mean, he's so he's such a great athlete. But, um, you know, that was for me learning how to get a feel and then just reconfirming what I'm feeling and and making sure that the also, that helped the pitching coach give him an idea, especially if I hadn't been around him. It's a newer pitching coach. I think it works in multiple ways. But also, you know, from a young age, so many kids, I mean, I'm seeing it at 10 years old, people are calling pitches for kids. And I'm like, what are we doing? Like, I just, I'm, I'm just like, wait a minute. And my son's pitched a little bit and I'm trying to teach him a little bit differently and explain to them, okay, this is what's going on. I want you to learn how to read read hitters, read bat swings, because I know he's not going to get that at any other level. And it's sad for me to say that, but I think that's one big thing that I've seen over the course of these past years is I'm not seeing as many catchers or pitchers reading swings. It's just like, here's your plan, go get them, and there's no – uh, you know, here's plan B and here's plan C if this isn't working. Give our audience an example of that. My son's a catcher and a comment he made actually respectfully to his, his coach um, a couple weeks back was he's, he just turned 13. He said, I have a better view of what's going on with the hitter from my standpoint than maybe the dugout does. You know, kind of can we can I offer a suggestion? based on the hand reads. And I thought that was a great perspective. I was glad he said it respectfully, but give our audience, I know we're an audio, not a visual, but when you're talking about reading the bat, give an example of something that would happen. And then that would be kind of your reaction to it. You know, I say, I, you know, say I'm, I'm, I'm out and I'm throwing and I see a guy's late on a pitch, you know, um, fouls the ball off over the dugout. All right. Who's the hitter? What's his, what's his typical way of hitting? You know, obviously I'm trying to take this as a, as on the major league side. Okay. He either a, he didn't see it B, you know, it was such a good spot. So I don't want to automatically, he fouls a ball off. He's way late. I don't want to speed his bat up, throw him a change up or a breaking ball to where now he, he makes his adjustment, but maybe he didn't adjust enough. And now I'm throwing it right into his bat speed. 
or you have those certain guys that just have slow bats and you don't want to get beat with secondary, um, you know, and just reading the situation, where do I want the ball hit? Because there's a guy in on second base or first base, there's a hole open. And, you know, those are getting into the real deep processes. But ultimately, the hitter will tell you kind of what he is by bat speed, where he fouls it off, and his first reaction as he lands. If he's pulling off the ball, why am I going to throw stuff on the inner part of the plate? I'm going to probably live away. You know, those are a few of the things um, just trying to keep it as simple as possible. No, those are great. That's great pieces of advice for the audience. I don't care if they're little league or they're major league. Or that's, that's thinking the game. Will, go ahead. You wanted to. Jump yeah, in. just, you know, a lot of those points, you know, going back, I covered the Phillies organization since 92. So I had the pleasure of writing a lot of reports on Brandon. So. What he's telling everyone is the truth. I watched him in practice do what he says, and he always had a great feel for his delivery. He always had a great feel for pitching. Um, That was something I learned early on was to be your own best pitching coach. When you have body awareness, you can make adjustments and feel when things are right and wrong. Um, You know, little things for young kids is, you know, Gary Tuck, who was a great catching instructor, is he – on it, behind it, or ahead of it, you know, when you're looking at swings. Those are little things that you can see right away. If a guy swings when the ball's in the glove, you're not going to go slow. If he's out in front and pulls it foul, then you might want to go soft because he's pretty quick to the ball. If he's right on it, you you better change up or do, do some different things. So, um, you know, that's what we're trying to do here is build a foundation to build a, you know, personal responsibility and uh, have a good feel for your craft if you want to be a pitcher. Brandon or Mark, go ahead. Either one, Mark or Brandon, you wanted to add to that? Yeah, I, you know. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Um, yeah, I think the, the nice thing about being your own pitching coach is – you have nobody but yourself. You're, you're the only one out on the mound. And you can think and say, okay, how do I make this adjustment? The, fir- the earlier you learn to make adjustments on your own, you're going to start flying. You're going to make those adjustments, and then everybody's going to say, man, this guy has a great feel. You know, that's some of the things that I look for scouting-wise is, man, does this guy have a feel for what he's doing? Does he know what he's doing? Is he working guys in and out, you know? Does he have a plan? And you can see it. it. It jumps out rather than, you know, we see a lot of guys as, you know, Will can attest, and I'm sure Mark can attest being a director of pitching that, you know, you can just automatically tell they get up there and say they're throwing a bullpen. It's just like all out, or is this guy, okay, I'm going to go four or five pitches here. I'm going to go five pitches to the arm side, five pitches to the cross arm side, Okay, now I'm gonna I'm gonna throw a few changeups. Now I'm gonna intermix my breaking balls. Now I'm gonna start doing a total mix like I would do in a game. Versus okay, I'm just gonna throw, 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 and then okay, now I'm to my breaking ball, and now I'm bouncing breaking balls. I have no feel for what I'm doing, and we see that in in between innings in a lot of respects. Um, and then it just carries over into the game. So I think the old adage 
you know, you play like you practice, I think that truly is indicative of what's going on in a lot of respects today. You know, I'd love to hear the input from Mark and Will on that. Yeah, I, I think, you know, to me, you know, when you build the foundation that Will's talking about, you, you get arm strength, then mechanics, you learn to duplicate that mechanics, then you can start to repeat, repeat, repeat. And then you're able to make some decisions when you're pitching. Because until you have all those factors in, you're not going to have enough command to take advantage of your observations and make the right decision. So, you know, they want to jump from, you know, max effort's going to take care of everything. It doesn't matter where you're throwing it. It doesn't matter where the previous pitches were, you know. And that kind of leads me into something else. When people call pitches from the dugout, they don't know whether the last pitch was inside, outside. You can't tell. Believe me, I spent enough years in the dugout to know you can't really tell. That's why I would have signs with the catcher to tell me whether the pitch was in and out. Once if I yelled at them, they would hit their shin guard and show me that it was outside. I wanted to know that in order to make an evaluation where I could help them. You know, and then when you're teaching a guy and and you're working with this side work, you know, you want him to get to where he knows what his own pitch looks like the best one. He wants to know what his best one feels like. And you don't do that when you're throwing a lot of max effort pitches on the side or in a game. You don't know what a good one looks like or feels like because you're more interested in effort and energy than you are the quality of the pitch. So, you know, obviously when I had guys work on the side, I would tell them, I said, listen, we're going to work on all your pitches. We're going to work in blocks. We're going to work on one first and command the fastball, move it around, a four-seam fastball. When we got to the changeup or breaking balls, we'd do similar things with those to get real good feel for it. And then I would tell them, on each of your pitches, see what your max effort control is, not your max effort velocity. Show me your best fastball, but that you can command and throw a couple of those before you leave your side. So you know that you're, you're learning what your limits are to where you can take advantage of your command and when you lose it. Yeah, good points. Will, go ahead. Yeah, I, you know, uh, Brandon and I are still in the ballpark scouting and I love to go, you know, when you're there early and watch guys throw bullpens. And it's almost like we're working from the finished product backwards uh, where uh, when Mark and I were pitching coaches and years ago and Brandon had pitching coaches, when you threw your bullpen, the coach was hands-on pitch to pitch watching and, you know, encouraging an adjustment or going, wow, that's a good pitch. Now, uh, in, in a lot of cases, I see pitching coaches don't even talk. Someone has an iPad and they're, they're measuring the spin and the shape of a pitch, which is the finished product. Well, if the foundation is all good, the finished products are all going to be good. And you're along the way, you're going to get a feel for what's right. To me, that's not that that's not a good way to teach. Um, and you, you know, Brandon could probably share you know the same thing. You know, you go, I you know, somebody was frustrated, worked for an organization, called me and said. Pitching coach never said a word to a kid as he threw a 20-minute bullpen. 
and the kid was flying open. He wasn't over the rubber. His hands were late. The ball spraying all over the place. And all they were looking at were the, the result, the, the spin rate, the axis, and the shape of the pitch. You know, to me, that's not a way to coach and teach. Brandon, go ahead. It's yeah, I, you know, right. I, and I, you know, I'll give you one one comment that, that shows where this this comes from. You know, um, and and you get players that come into pro ball and they don't really want the responsibility because they've never been given it before to make evaluations or call pitches. And and I talked to a college coach one time when I was a major league pitching coach, and he used to drop by the field and we were talking about college pitching. And I said to him, I said, why is it that you call every pitch the guy throws? The games last forever. And I said, and there's no, the, 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 the pitcher can't get into a rhythm when you're working slow because people are making decisions to call pitches. And I said, why don't you just teach them how to, to call a pitch and teach the catcher how to call pitches? And he says, I can't trust a 19-year-old with my career. That's what I was told. So, you know, these college head, these big schools make a lot of money and there's actually some of that thought process that they think they can do it better, you know, and I didn't say it to the coach, but I felt like, yeah, if you knew what you were doing, it might make a difference, but I'm watching him throw a curveball with bases loaded that the guy hadn't gotten over, over the plate the entire outing with three, two with bases loaded in the ninth inning and, and he's calling the pitch. Because if he gets it over, he'll miss it. You know, so we have people calling pitches that don't really know what they're doing anyway. When there's formulas that you could teach guys and in, in, in things to, to look for in a hitter uh, yourself to make the determination. And I think that's lost. It's really lost. And I, probably through this podcast, I will bring that up numerous times about giving guys responsibility to make their own decisions. Yeah, I think that comes into play at these young ages. I really do, because so many of these kids have been taught, okay, I'm going to throw this pitch. It, there's no rhyme or reason the coach is talking. Now, if it's one thing if the coach will say, hey, this is why I was doing this, this pitch and this sequence and this time, but there's not a lot of conversations. And you're right, Mark, like most of these big division one schools, most of their coaches and pitching coaches and head coaches make more than major league coaches and managers, like especially minor league ones. So it's like, holy cow. I mean, there's a, <laughs> we could go on a whole nother tangent with that. But, uh, you know, I think going back to what Will was saying with the foundation, so many kids don't understand how to use their lower half. And once, and that kind of goes into what Mark was talking about, in the progressions of learning to pitch and deliveries and, and so on. But so many kids, they only know how to spin off. And then I feel like in a lot of respects, that's what's keep that keeps getting reinforced all the way through high school. And I've been trying to break a lot of these kids of that habit and teaching them to understand, as Will was saying, staying over the rubber, staying connected, let our lower half deliver the upper half. Arms got to be on time. Hitting and pitching are very similar. Your arm's up on time. It doesn't matter how you get there. Like a guy like Chris Sell versus Max Scherzer, when they were all healthy, and Max has been like the epitome of health for the most part. I mean, look how many years he's pitched when 
everybody thought he was going to blow out. But when we were able to slow things down with some of the cameras that we have, which a lot of this technology can be great. It's just how it's used and used in the proper ways. I think it can be a real benefit to everybody. And I think a lot of times these places, they really don't know what they're doing, kind of like the coach calling a pitch. They don't really understand what they're doing, but there's some ben- there's a lot of benefits that can happen. It's just has to be used in the proper ways to where we can really maximize each individual athlete because everybody moves differently. That's why we have screenings when they go into pro ball. Oh, we got to screen this guy. Oh, well, he's deficient here, here, and here. If we can fix this, now he can start getting into these other positions that he's never been able to get into. And now our projections, whether it be velocity and command consistency, I think everything starts to tick up. Brandon, you mentioned two terms I want you to kind of break down for our audience quick. Um, you mentioned you try to break kids of the habits of spinning off, and you also mentioned the, the term of being on time. Can you explain that a little bit to our audience? Both yeah, are- the spinning off is when I'm going down the mound. Right now, I know in a lot of places they're teaching, get down the mound quick. And, you know, I'll, I'll revert this back into what Mark was talking about. When you get get there, how – The max effort, but being under control, right? So a lot of times, a lot of places, this is the thing. Oh, you got to get down the mound quick. Well, what does that mean? You got to be under down the mound quick, but under control to where my arm is up at the right spot in a good launch position as my foot lands, my eyes, my balance, where's everything at? So a lot of times the kids, they feel that they get that glove either out front There's a lot of kids that have what we call a dead front side where the elbow's low, the glove's down, and all they do is try to whip it to the side. And this is what we call overly rotational with our upper half. And they spin off, but to the detriment of their arm being on time. So when I spin off with my front side, my arm cast back creates length out on the backside. And now my pitches are going to be up out to the arm side, or I have to compensate to protect the shoulder, or I cut it off out front. So front side, when I say spinning off, is the glove is clearing early, way too early, to where my arm gets caught back in a long position and and launch launch those pitches. That's and great. Then, um, and then on, on time is when I'm at foot strike and my arms up, I want my arm up in that roughly 90 degree position, but I still want a firm front side because I think our firm front sides allow us to keep our, um, our direction. We're going to stay direct through the plate or as we call linear through my catcher to where now I'm commanding. Now I don't have as much, I have, I'm going to be on time, so I'm not going to have as much you know, mistakes and shooting balls off and release point issues, my release is going to be much more consistent to where I'm balanced. I know my head's back. I'm in a good power position. And that's where I can maximize not only velocity, but command and control as well. That's great. I know we're not a visual show, but I think you you painted a picture uh, perfectly for our, I mean, my question to you, I don't want you to answer this right now. I'd love to wrap on this, but you should be a major league pitching coach right now um, based on um, <laughs> yes. what I hear in the industry. And then, I mean, just your, your, the way you broke it down, it's complicated simplicity. You do a great job of articulating it, um, messages. 
I want to, could you share with our audience a little bit about what you do with the New York Yankees now um, as, a, as a scout? Yeah, I, 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 I'm one of our major league scouts. I don't see the amateurs. You know, the only amateurs I see is as soon as they sign and they come in and, you know, we start to see them at the complex leagues or low A ball. But um, I cover the Philadelphia Phillies and the Washington Nationals um, organizations, respectively, from the major leagues all the way down to whether it be low A or the Florida complex leagues. And then also I'll cover an additional five or six major league teams. You know, that's primarily for trades, you know, the trade and acquisitions for the trade deadline. Um, Also, I will go over to Asia. Um, I played in Japan for a few years, so I I will go over there as well and scout pitchers, position players um, in Japan and Korea. Um, And then, you know, a lot of times, you know, it's a lot of other little things within where, our front office will say, take a look at this handful of pitchers and just throw in video reports. What do you think we can do to help them, whether it be mechanically pitch sequences? Can they optimize location better, optimize certain pitches, add, subtract pitches or usages? You know, just kind of a little bit of everything um, on the pitching side. And then um, once once we get past that deadline and I'm done with all of my um, teams that I write up, um, I head out. In fact, I'll be heading out here in a couple of weeks to uh, go do the advanced scouting to where this this feels like a regular player to me sitting in the stands like I used to do as a pitcher in the minor leagues, breaking down hitters. How can I take advantage of certain things? You know, are there holes that I can expose that maybe we're not seeing on heat maps or, you know, anything analytically Picking those things up, picking up things tells defensively or even on the pitcher whether he's tipping certain certain pitches. Um, just a little, it, it's a little bit of everything. Um, and you know, at one time when we had just um, major league scouts only, like I at one point I was just covering the American League and National League East, so I w- had the opportunity to watch guys over the course of a year multiple, multiple times. I'm seeing guys 10, 15 games to where you start to see real differences on adjustments that they're making. Their little things that they do, you know, their little ticks that make them go or not go. And, you know, you get such a good feel for these guys that, you know, you can pick things out. Hey, is he on the upturn? Is he on the downturn? You know, that's, that's part of our, you know, our jobs as well is like, does he still have anything? He's having a down year, but he's only 30 years old. You know, is there anything that we think we can do, you know, and, and it's not just me and that's, you know, within our whole system, but you know, those are some of the things that I do at this point in time in which I love it's, it's, it's an enjoyment and, you know, you love to see good baseball. Yeah. Now, when you were in, you mentioned Japan and our, our show has gone global um, where we're, we're listening to in over 40 countries right now. Japan happens to be one of them. What were some nuances you learned over there that maybe you, you took back to what you're doing now in terms of pitching or any anything in terms of the way they approach the game? And I'm curious about, too, when you spent time with them as a player, obviously the language was an adjustment, but how did you eat over there? What did you eat? <laughs> well, the easy part was is in Japan, they have like small little models of everything or pictures. And when you look at it, you know, everything's in Japanese and, but you know, some places have um, the menus that are in English as well, but 
you pretty much what you see is how it comes out. Like just their presentation of everything is like identical. So, you know, you, sometimes you don't know what you're eating, but you're like, Hey, this is really good. It looked good. Um, so <laughs> the whole ordering thing was fairly easy. It was pretty straightforward. So, you know, and they would help you out. Um, a lot, but it was great. It was an unbelievable experience, not only for me, but my family, my kids and great people over there, you know, excellent people, safe environment. Um, on the baseball side of things, they're very, very rigid in a lot of respects, like on how they approach the game. Like they approach it true old school. You're seeing bunts in the first inning. If there's a leadoff hitter, first two guys get on third hitter may even bunt, you know, so it's a, it's, I like to say about a 180 in certain respects from here, but when it comes to fundamentals, they're really good. They may not be as physically gifted as some of the athletes that we have here, Latin America, but what they do, they typically do very well. And it's like all repetition with them. And as you see with a lot of the, the pitchers that come over here, there's a lot of similarities in their deliveries and they get very mechanical, but, they're typically pretty much their release consistencies as far as pitchers are unbelievable and their ability to manipulate balls and the splits and the breaking balls. I had the pleasure of uh, playing with Masahiro Tanaka and I don't think I'd ever seen anybody that was able to manipulate his slider curveball split. I mean, it was unbelievable. He went, I think it was like 24 and 0 when we were together and we won the championship over there before he came and played for the New York Yankees. But, you know, talk about a guy that he knew his craft, he knew what to do and just how to make adjustments on the fly. The pitcher in him was unbelievable. Um, hitter wise, you know, there's not as many power guys, but they are pesky outs. Very, very much contact oriented. I mean, they're little thorns in your side. And then they had guys that had power and continue to get more power. Um, and they're just all very contact oriented over there. And what's strange is, as uh, Will and Mark will relate to, usually left-hand hitters handle the ball down. Well, these guys handle the ball up better than anybody just because of their, they're talking about short to the ball, flat plane, and they're just trying to hit the ball. They're, it's victories for them to hit the ball and do what they're able to do and spray the ball around. And, you know, some of the guys are power guys and they're able to hit like the guy now Murakami that's over there. That's 50 some odd home runs, you know, so you see a little bit of everything, but they're very old, old school, like way old school when it comes to a lot of the game. Um, and, you know, they're, they're fundamentally sound for the most part. And as you'll hear on our podcast, we miss, we miss that time. So, uh, guys, we kept Brandon here for almost an hour, and it's been true to our form with all of our shows, uh, trying to build better baseball IQs out there. Mark or Will, do you have anything, parting shots for Brandon here? Yeah, I just wanted to say, you know, organizations that are playoff organizations, um, they don't just pick anybody to advance. And you you heard the comments from Brandon, you know, uh, you know the things that he can evaluate and see, you can see where – he would fit great as a major league pitching coach because he addresses all the things from pitch shaping to mechanics and then scouting hitters. That's what a pitching coach does. The pitching coach really is like an advanced scout. And those are the same things that a pitching coach 
pays attention to. Plus, you get to be hands-on with the guy to try to fix them yourself. So, um, you know, just by the comments, I think people in the industry should understand that Brandon is really well-equipped with his experience as a player and scout uh, to fit into that position as a bullpen coach or a pitching coach. Nice. Will, you want to add to that? Yeah. You know, Brandon, thanks for coming on. I told those guys you'd be a good guest. But, uh, you know, one of the things, you know, you're talking about the uh, the Asian baseball, the Koreans and the uh, Japanese. Um, as we, we got a WBC coming up, you kind of notice how deep they go in the WBC every year. And they're not the most physical team but they know how to play the game. They play the game right, and they're usually somewhere in the semis or the finals, almost every WBC. Uh, so um, fundamental baseball does still work. Yes, it does. Well, Brandon, thanks so much for coming on. We, we enjoyed having you, and obviously you have three advocates on the show. I think we're all vying to be your agent for that next movement up the ladder <laughs> in, the, in, the, in the front office area. So. You uh, gave our audience a treat today. I, I don't want to put you on the spot with this. I know you're in Japan. Do you still speak any Japanese? And if you do, do you want to say a little something to our uh, Japanese audience out there? Oh, man. You did put me on the spot. Um, uh, <laughs> heck, I can't. Nothing's coming up right now. I got to be honest. It, I tell you what, it, you know, some of the things, you know, the Ohau Gazimus, the hello, how are you? Um, heck. That's, that's, good that's the tough part. <laughs> but you know, I think they're tremendous people. I I enjoyed my time over there. I love my uh, time over there, and I'm sure as you guys talk to some of the people that have played over there or had experience coaching over there, they would they would have the same sentiments as myself. And I just want to thank everybody for giving me the opportunity today to speak with everyone and kind of put out there kind of my thoughts and the processes and what I seen and or experienced throughout my career and you know looking forward to baseball just continuing to be on an upward trend and hopefully bringing more and more people in to love the game as much as not only myself but as as much as you all there no i think if we have guys like you making things happen at the professional level i think we've got a great shot of getting back the game so thanks for being our inaugural guest on a day at the yard common sense pitching with wiley and will it's episode 35 for Coach and Kernan Podcast Network, but it's the first episode um, for Mark Wiley and Will George. Guys, great job with your first episode here in September 8, 2022. Uh, we're signing off here with the Coach and Kernan Podcast Network. All right. Thanks, Brandon.